Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher-level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today, what they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Dr. Charlene Hope is the Chief Pharmacy Quality and Medication Safety Officer at the University of Chicago Medicine. She works with interprofessional teams to effectively implement patient safety strategies and quality improvement initiatives. Dr. Hope has held an extensive array of clinical and leadership positions, including Regional Pharmacy Quality and Safety Manager for Tenet Healthcare, Regional Clinical Director for Comprehensive Pharmacy Services, and Director of Pharmacy for McNeil Hospital. She is a frequent lecturer at both the state and national level on medication safety and pharmacy quality topics. Dr. Hope holds a Doctor of Pharmacy degree from Midwestern University, a Master of Science degree in Healthcare Quality and Patient Safety from Northwestern University, and is a certified professional in patient safety by NAHQ. Her mission? to remain in pursuit of zero harm in service of better, and her strategy is to address key concepts including human factors, team dynamics, and redesigning of the healthcare delivery systems. Hello, Dr. Help. Welcome to the Healthcare and Hire podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. There's so many, you're one of the few guests that I've been waiting to speak with because I have so many different questions for you and you're coming in from a great perspective in terms of how the world is you know, operating within a safety culture. And we're going to talk a lot about that. And I also recognize that there's a lot of listeners that are meeting you for the first time. So Dr. Hope, why don't you take this opportunity and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how does what you do take healthcare to a higher level? All right. Thank you. Uh, And please feel free to call me Charlene. I I appreciate using my title. I rarely get to hear it unless I'm working with uh, pharmacy students, but we can keep it informal. (laughs) I am a pharmacist by background, and our connection, Iqbal, is that we both graduated from Midwestern University, Chicago College of Pharmacy. So I'm happy to uh, help out a fellow alumni and have a catch-up session (laughs) as it may. My current role as the Chief Pharmacy Quality and Medication Safety Officer at the University of Chicago Medicine, where I oversee our pharmacy quality as well as medication safety program. And I've been in the role for the last three years, and I've been learning a lot about academic medical centers. Interesting. 
I would love to learn a little bit about that uh, uh, slice of healthcare as well, because I know that as pharmacists, we have, you know, we have the dubious title of being like the final check, right? You know, so pharmacists, like we have the opportunity to prevent medication errors from happening. And there are so many different players and, you know, we work on interdisciplinary teams, but when you're working inside an institution or a hospital or medical center, like there are so many different moving parts and the pharmacy is there to be able to step in. But you're talking about, you know, systems that are there to prevent errors from even getting to that point. I'd love to understand a little bit more about some of the challenges that you've seen while you've been in this role um, and maybe like a solution that you and your team have been able to design to try to either minimize that or to circumvent that in uh, circumvent the entire issue. I like that you brought up that topic of systems. And one of the things that is starting to become more evident to me as the years go by is really how complex not only our medication management system, but healthcare in general. And when we look at pharmacy, we're really just one component of a larger healthcare ecosystem. And we really need to have an understanding of how the pharmacy interacts with all the other systems in order to provide the best care for our patients. That's where that healthcare quality component comes in. So when we are looking at pharmacists' role within this ecosystem, it's really how can we best uh, work efficiently, decrease waste within those systems. And we can do this several different ways. Um, through automation, through, as you had suggested, through interprofessional interdisciplinary teams. So really working on that culture of safety, um, looking at continuously surveilling our systems and making sure that they're working for us so that we're providing the best care. When we start looking at that perspective of medication safety and the pharmacist's role in terms of preventing errors, again, we are one component of that larger medication management system. So when we are looking at medication errors that reach patients, we really have to look at what does the ordering look like? What did the dispensing process look like? How did our nurses um, access that medication? What does the system look like from their point of view? And really bring the whole team together to evaluate our system, where they're breaking down and how we can improve them. So you can see there really is not one solution on how we can improve our healthcare systems and address complexity, but number one, to accept that it's complex and that it's going to require a large team, diverse perspectives in order to continually keep it safe. And Charlene, that's a really good call out, right? I think that many of us that are listening to this podcast or that have just had interactions with other interdisciplinary team members, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of input that's required because we all see you know, our share of contributing to patient care in different ways, but we are all using systems and processes uh, that can impact another. And you know, one of the conversations that I have over and over again is, is that while there is a reliance on technology, automation, even artificial intelligence and algorithms to some extent to be able to, to smooth things over, those computer systems and those processes don't make the decisions. It's the people behind the design of that that ultimately decide what is healthy or what is unhealthy, what is good versus what is not good. You know, do you see that there is, you know, 
I, I'm trying to find the right way of putting this, but like, because we are human, we're also fallible. And in the design of those types of algorithms and processes, like some of that fallibility can be introduced. But when we think about safety systems, like that's a big risk. Like how do you try to tackle that issue when it comes to designing systems and bringing in human perspectives with the human fallibility potential? Yes. Uh, this is actually one of the topics that I find really interesting as it applies to safety, because when we do have a safety event um, or near miss and we're coming together and looking at solutions, usually the first um, thing that we think of is how can we leverage our technology? Can we introduce new technology? However, there are some downsides to employing technology or further optimizing uh, technology in that it is the human interaction with that technology that can um, benefit um, a system or actually cause other unintended consequences. And so ensuring that that design works for the team, works in those particular workflows are particularly important. So as a patient safety professional, one of my roles is really to introduce the team to the concept of human factors and really looking at our environment and how we're interacting with that technology. And not, again, looking at that technology addressing one root cause, but looking at all the possibilities within that process or system and making sure that, yes, the technology might help with one aspect, but we might need to do training in another aspect. We might need to look at that new protocol or policy and procedure. And is it too prescriptive? Do we need to loosen it up? Or is it too loose? Do we need to make it more prescriptive? So again, there's not one perfect solution. Um, with every solution, there's upsides and downsides, and all of them have to be taken into consideration. But what's most important is making sure that we are working with our frontline staff, that we are doing walkthroughs of our processes, that we look at workarounds. Um, that's something when we start looking at that balance between quality and safety, um, as well as the financial goals of an organization. They're really around efficiency, doing things really fast. We need to decrease our length of stay. Um, we need to look at our throughput. These are the things that might lead to workarounds and we need to be aware of them and we need to bring them to light so that again, we can design the system that works for the individuals that are actually working in the system. Charlene, you must have in-depth conversations with C-suite level executives and vice presidents on these issues. And I'm sure that at some point um, you have had an interaction with one of them that has probably said, I don't understand why it's so necessary for us to consistently pour into this when in their mind, another goal is more important. How do you try and influence them to understand that patient safety is paramount? over everything else in, in terms of operations, in terms of all the other factors, like patient safety is what your institution is really being built on. It's their brand, it's their reputation. And in yeah. fact, before I have you answer that question, I should share with the listeners about uh, University of Chicago Medicine, because there are some that may not be from the Chicagoland area. I mean, this is an institution that's been around for over a hundred years. And over the course of time, um, I mean, it has actually grown tremendously. It serves the South side of Chicago as well as downtown areas. But but 
you know, it's also home of the Ingalls Memorial. It's also home of your biological sciences and division department. If I'm not mistaken, Michelle Obama was actually part of your yes. uh, uh, board of directors or in a, in a contributory capacity for a while. Um, and I know that University of Chicago has actually been ranked number two by U.S. News and World Report, um, you know, for one of the best hospitals in Chicagoland in Illinois. I mean, those are really big factors. And the fact that you have multiple outpatient clinics throughout the city and the fact that you also have had at least 12 Nobel Prize winners for, you know, coming from your institution, you know, the weight of the institution itself and the credibility it has in terms of the impact is really magnanimous. Um, and so now let me pivot back to that last question, right? Because when, when we have these conversations with leaders in different spaces, you know, their agenda is very focused on their specific subspecialty. Um, it can be operations, it can be finance, it can be anything. But here you are championing the cause of medication safety and pharmacy quality. And sometimes those conversations aren't always eye to eye. I mean, I'd love to understand a little bit about how you're able to help them see the, the truth behind all of this. You know, uh, more and more, I've been learning the benefits of storytelling. Uh, I can say that earlier on in my career, coming through that clinical bend, it was really looking at the evidence, looking at the data and using that to change hearts and minds in terms of adopting a new drug to formulary, removing a drug from formulary or adopting a new protocol. It was all about the black and white. But as I start to um, expand my leadership role, expand that influence, it cannot always be about the data and about the black and white. It really is about connecting the our leaders with the stories that occur every day, the impact on our patients. So we can provide world-class care, but if we are causing preventable harm to a patient, even one patient, it really, lessens, you know, all the accolades and um, the brand as it may be um, when we harm a patient. And that's one thing that I can really appreciate uh, with University of Chicago as large as it is. The one thing that's really consistent in the different meetings and uh, presentations is really all of not only our providers, but our leaders commitment to the community, to our patients, um, and always looking at what can we do to improve the life of someone else in whatever may that, and at what, <laughs> in whatever way that that may be. And no matter how complex of a problem that gets brought to our organization, we have specialists that are working on thousands of different types of disease states, rare conditions you would never think of. They're researching and looking to improve the life of that one person, but they're also highly um, engaged and care about our systems and making sure that we're providing the safest care to our patients. So in one way, it makes my job really easy. But again, when sometimes we're really focused on the data and the outcomes, we can lose sight of the humanity of our patients and the care that we provide. And it becomes very kind of rote care that we're providing. And it's really connecting our staff, our providers, our administrators to the stories um, every day so that we're connected to our why, why we all are in healthcare, why we're trying to, um, how we're trying to impact the world in the expertise that we bring.
Charlene, that brings up a really good point because I think that when we have to describe our why to others, like there's a certain sense yes. of vulnerability. Yes. Right? You are now exposing yourself to you know, ridicule in some cases or questions or curiosity that sometimes people aren't comfortable with or sometimes they're not prepared for. And that's just in that one slice, right? Now, as healthcare providers, we are also working with different people, different cultures, and trying to create a work culture that is respectful for different backgrounds, different orientations, all of that. I mean, there's a psychological component that goes into how everyone shows up at work. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about some of the experiences that you've had in trying to, I don't want to say defend um, psychological safety, but elevate it. Because I know that your institution does a good job with it. But, you know, in so in the last few months, uh, maybe even the last year or so, right, like so many things have become to come to the forefront, where, you know, we need champions to be able to help our associates and our patients and our employees feel safe where they are. Um, and I'd love to get your take on what that looks like for you and what you've been able to do to help define that for others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as I was just going through my own training with patient safety um, through my master's program, different organizations, our state level uh, patient safety organization, there is always a focus on what we can do to improve our safety culture. How do we encourage any member of the healthcare team, staff members in, working in hospital health systems to speak up, right? If we don't know that our systems are failing, if we don't know that individuals are engaging in workarounds in order to get the job done, we aren't aware of how unsafe our systems may be or how hard our um, providers and staff have to work in order to maintain a safe environment. And so one way that we want to encourage speaking up behaviors is to ensure that we are creating an environment where people feel safe to speak up. And that's where that topic of psychological safety comes in. And it is very much about feeling safe to bring our best selves to work. Um, in many different ways, and that our voice is valued when we do speak up, that we are going to be taken seriously. And so that topic of psychological safety has always been one of interest to me, and one that I really try to incorporate in um, my teaching, when I'm mentoring other pharmacy leaders, uh, pharmacy students, just even socializing them to this topic of psychological safety, because psychological safety is really about our humanness and how we interact as humans. And as I study psychological safety even more, I'm seeing other connections. Um, last year with the events around George Floyd's um, demise, I started thinking about systemic racism and uh, the culture that uh, thinking about systemic racism and that being a system of itself. And so what is the culture that where racism can come about? Well, again, it's about us not respecting the humanness of all of us regarding regardless of our race, our gender, and started to think about inclusion culture and how to feel included that also requires a psychological safety as well too. And lastly, over the last year and a half, 
a lot of organizations have been tasked with staff burnout and resilience. And at that core is about being vulnerable and sharing with our teammates when we're feeling exhausted, when um, we're starting to lose faith in the systems that we're working in. If we don't have an outlet to, um, to share those feelings, to ask for help, all of those can have negative, negative impacts on organizations. And so investing in creating an environment where all team members feel safe to um, express their humanity, their vulnerability is one that I think all organizations should invest in. Charlene, I, I love the way that you've described all of the different facets that are accompanying psychological safety. It's something that you know, most professionals you know, um, within a healthcare space really don't discuss. And they maybe don't even recognize that it's part and parcel of the work that they do um, and how critical it is to make sure that that kind of environment exists. So I appreciate you not just having the courage to talk about it, but to lead that in different areas and to talk about stories that you have witnessed that need champions in this space. Um, I want to uh, share. Go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, no, please. <laughs> no, I just wanted to add that um, that's why I speak on the topic, because if I have courage, I'm hoping other people have the courage to show that vulnerability and talk about uh, these topics. And I recently gave a presentation to my pharmacy department on it, and I got several little emails after the um the lecture to say thank you so much for sharing those topics. You know, how can we, you know, further improve psychological safety on our team? So it's one that um, is really important and people think about, and it does require courage to start to be the first one to speak up. It usually does. Thank you again. I, that's really important. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about where you are today, because you didn't just wake up one morning after graduating from pharmacy school and end up here. I mean, you've had a beautiful, rich, uh, and very robust career trajectory. Like I know you began at some point as a regional, uh, if I'm not mistaken, regional clinical director for uh, comprehensive pharmacy services. You worked for Tenet Healthcare as a regional pharmacy quality and safety manager. You were also a clinical pharmacy manager at Norwegian American and director of pharmacy at McNeil, and now you're in this role, you know, moving, you know, up, up and forward in a career trajectory, particularly in this niche is both rewarding and exciting, and I'm sure at the same time, scary as well. Uh, how did you know that this was the right position for you and when, when you first learned about it or when it was presented to you? And how did you prepare for this? Wow. Uh... I will start with that my career definitely has one that has evolved over time. And at its core has been my innate curiosity and love of learning. And that really has been the driving force behind my career. Starting with my background in clinical pharmacy services, my focus really is on how do we provide the best drug therapy? How do we optimize the care that we provide and the outcomes that we can achieve uh, through many different ways and managing our formulary, working with our physicians on clinical teams, rounding, teaching other pharmacy students, coaching other pharmacists, always really with that focus, I would say kind of on that healthcare quality end of things. Uh, after many years of working on the 
clinical end of pharmacy, I started to gain an interest in the operations. And so spent some time as an assistant director, also as an director. And that's where I really started to understand systems and resources and how we can do the best with the resources that we have. You know, as you shared, I was a clinical pharmacy manager at Norwegian, a safety net hospital. And that's really when I learned my chops of how can I work creatively with the resources that I have to ensure that our patients are getting the same outcomes as they were if they were to go to an academic academic medical center. Um, we still have that focus in mind. And as I mentioned, this is where I really learned about systems and to design systems and creating that environment where the entire pharmacy team can be involved. And through those different roles, I had a lot of projects that were involved with safety and improving safety. And that's where that passion started to um, start to ignite. It was about 10 years ago where I did a project on improving pediatric safety, working in safety nets, working with how can you improve in insulin safety. So it was all these kind of big projects that got me more and more interested. I started gaining more and more experience and then realized, wait, there's a whole field <laughs> Uh, dedicated to quality and safety. And that's when I went on to do my master's program, got some certifications. And while the majority of my career, I've been really focused on being a generalist, I really didn't want to specialize because I just liked learning about a lot of different things. I now at a part of my career where I feel like this is where I want to specialize. This is where I want to spend the rest of my career really focusing on developing um, redesigning healthcare to really serve all patients. And while we're providing that high quality care, that we're not harming patients at that same time. And um, like you said, it's been really rich, rewarding um, career. And I, I couldn't have planned it out. I really couldn't have. I think most people, when they get to a certain point in their career, they're like, there's no way that this would have been uh, deliberate like there's, there's just no way. But I also recognize that not everybody is open and willing to sample different things or go headfirst into something else. Like you had opportunities that came to you in terms of projects that were related to safety. And you saw like something sparked in you that was like, this is definitely an area of interest for me. Let's pursue this farther. Was there anybody that you would want to acknowledge on this show in terms of somebody that helped you along the way? Because I know for myself, I've had multiple mentors that have guided me in at great points throughout my career trajectory that moved me in the right direction. Um, and I also know that not everybody, you know, moves forward alone. Um, and I find that, you know, most people that have moved on into a higher level role of healthcare are really a product of somebody else's guidance. Um, any mentors or anyone that you think back when you were maybe early on in your career or even mid-career before you made a transition into safety um, and quality where you were sort of like, that person shined a light on something that I was just unaware of. And because of that individual, I am here where I am today. I would say that I've had a lot of mentors, sponsors along the way. Uh, there was a clinical, a regional clinical director 
that actually was the one that mentored me through my patient safety project with improving PEDS prescribing. And she walked me through how to uh, create a poster. And uh, that was my first poster that I ever presented at a national meeting. And we really developed a, um, a special relationship. Uh, she was always someone that I would reach out to, someone that made me feel safe to share problems and issues that I was encountering in my career at that time. And I really, you know, she, she's really someone that's helped start me off on that passion for patient safety. Uh, later on, she actually stepped down from her role as regional clinical director, and she was the one that served as a sponsor and recommended that I be promoted into that role when she stepped down. And so I have a lot to definitely thank her for. Um, into, in addition to her, I've had great pharmacy directors who love sharing their pearls of wisdom in terms of managing staff, working with teams um, along the way. And like you said, our success is really on the shoulders of a lot of others that came before us. Agreed. Agreed. Would you care to share the name of that person that you were uh, guided by or that you were I know her for? first name is Nancy and I'm totally forgetting her last name, but <laughs> no it would be Nancy. And she lives in California. I still reach out to her on LinkedIn. Every time I kind of think about the success in my career, I always kind of shoot her an email to say, did I thank you? I need to thank you again. <laughs> and so I'm hoping to make a trip out to California and I definitely will be, you know, reaching out to have lunch with her. Beautiful. Well, Nancy from California, I hope you're listening because you have somebody that really, really, uh, really appreciates you. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Outstanding. Charlie, has there ever been a point where you learned a life lesson that really solidified the way that you approach new initiatives or new ideas? I know that sometimes, you know, we have an idea of how we want to pursue something um, and then we try it and it doesn't always work. But somewhere along the course of our learnings in life, um, somebody or something taught us a lesson that made us realize before I do this, I really need to take a step back and look at things differently. I'd love to know a life lesson that you've learned that would even be something that you would share with your students or with other pharmacists and other professionals. Yeah, the one that comes to mind, not necessarily about a project or initiative, but I think more of like a leadership piece of advice is not underestimating the power of a professional network and always to put your best foot forward. I think of a time when uh, right after residency, I was a new practitioner and I was going to a professional meeting and had met up with a former residency director and we were just walking down um, the road and crossing paths and stopped and start chatting. And the conversation ended up on uh, one of my, uh, I think one of my former preceptors who no longer was working at the organization, was working somewhere across the country, but this individual had less than positive things to say about mm -hmm. them. And it just, after we kind of ended the conversation, I walked away, I was like, wow, I'm like, what? what kind of conversations could someone be having about me that I'm not thinking might be talking about me? And what are those impressions? And especially in pharmacy, um, 
you know, I think about that concept of the six degrees of separation in pharmacy, I think it's three degrees of separation. Um, there's so many people I've come in contact with um, in different areas of the country where they worked in Chicago or they know a former professor of mine. And just that importance is always putting a, doing a first good fresh first impression and um, always just being aware of how we're all interconnected and how closely interconnected that we are. Um, a second story around that was when I was working at an organization and we were working for a pharmacy outsourcing company and they had lost their contract and a new company was coming in who I didn't really care for and um, we were kind of going through a transition that was going a little rocky. Mm -hmm. And my pharmacy director at that time, her, her name is Marge Pesaresi, had shared with me, well, Charlene, as leaders, we need to go down with the ship. And I want you here at my side on the last day when we have to hand over services to the new company. And um, while I wasn't too happy about it. I loved my director at that time. And so I was there on the last day and I'm glad I actually came that last day because I got to say goodbyes to people. And um, it felt good to know that I was handing off services um, in a professional manner. Uh, about a year and a half later, uh, the company bought the company I was working for, and we all had to re-interview for our roles. Wow. So you can imagine how happy I was that I ended, um, you know, that assignment on a positive professional note, because when I had to re-interview for my role with those same individuals, it was good that they had the impression of me that I was professional and um, you know that I did do a good job kind of handing off the work that I was doing to them. So um, that has solidified in my mind, always having a good first impression and trying to stay professional because you don't know when it might benefit you later on in your life. I'm so glad you shared that story, Charlene. And I will tell you that having been on the other side of an interview desk for almost 15 years, you know, these little interactions and these little conversations, like even if you've had a 30 minute conversation, that one one sentence or that one nonverbal cue that can be picked up can have an impact, either positive or negative. Um, but yes. the fact of the matter is, is that as a professional, sometimes, yeah, you have to learn how to be able to put the right face on in order to be able to show integrity and lead a group of people towards the unknown as, as somebody that says, hey, I'm walking with you side by side. I'm not abandoning yes. you and we're going to do this together. And whatever happens next, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I think that's really important to hear from somebody that has walked this walk. Um, and I hope that the listeners today, you know, remember that whenever they may fa face a tough situation and they're like, I don't want to do this, but you're in the role. You have to do this. And believe you me, it comes back as karma. It's a great thing when it comes back to you, just like in Charlene's story that you just shared. Like, that's phenomenal. That's just absolutely phenomenal. Charlene, you are a very intelligent, articulate, and a very, very a positive person. I've always known that about you. Um, and sometimes when I meet people like this, like I find that they have their own secret source of positivity and inspiration. 
Is there a book or an author or just a quote that you sort of use as a philosophical mission that helps you maintain this, this aura of professionalism and, uh, and invite, prof um, and invite positivity? Yes, one of my favorite quotes is from Margaret Mead, and she quotes, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And this quote has stuck with me because it embodies the two things I really value, which is teamwork and collaboration. And while our society often focuses on the personal achievements and successes of one person, that one person usually inspires people to action, groups of people to action. And nothing excites me more than sitting down with a team who's excited about changing the world. And I love being at the table, whether I'm leading an initiative or change, or I'm just a member of the team and someone else is leading. That's, that's my why. That's what gets me up in the morning. I'm like, I want to work with that team and how we can make the world better today, even if it's just that small um, area of pharmacy or within our hospital department, knowing that it will have a ripple effect that will change the world. That's beautiful. Uh, and I agree with you 100%. I think that sometimes people will stop and be like, well, I'm an introvert and I don't want to interact with people. Um, or sometimes people are ambiverts and they'll just go back and forth. But but in reality, like we learn from each other, we pour into each other, we gain from each other as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, being surrounding, surrounding yourself with other people that inspire you and that also share that same energy level really makes the dynamic of a team more effective and very performance-driven. And so I love to hear that. Charlene, you've been a phenomenal uh, guest. I really enjoyed listening to you. You know, and I know that you mentor a lot of other people, both in an official capacity and unofficial. If there's, and you've given us some great points uh, for listeners to embody into their, their professional trajectory, right? You've talked about, you know, having integrity. You've talked about, you know, really understanding psychological safety and having courage to talk about um, topics that maybe nobody else is, but because you believe in that. Is there any other piece of advice that you would share to the listener with the listeners today uh, to help them either be more prepared for what the future holds or to design their own future as well? Just based of my off of my own, you know, success and pathways is to to plan, but then let life take you where it's going to take you, and to um, as opportunities come to sometimes take a risk and take that opportunity and focus on what you can learn and how you'll apply it somewhere else. Or if you um, take an opportunity and, and it fails, again, take what you can learn from that opportunity and leverage it into your next success. Um, and just to kind of ride the wave of life, it's actually in retrospect, when you look back, sometimes when you're going through through some really hard times, you don't think that there's a way out, but often there is a way out and it's much better than you would ever expect it to be. And so plan, but then let life take you where it will. I love that. Thank you for that. Charlene, there will be people who will want to reach out to you, maybe even connect with you and get a chance to learn more about you. What's the best way for them to do that? 
Uh, the best way uh, they can do that is just connect with me on LinkedIn. They can in message me. I'm pretty active on that social media platform. I often have people that reach out to me via uh, that route, and I've had some really great discussions and opportunities that way. So please do reach out. Beautiful. Charlene, thanks again for being a guest on the Healthcare and Hire podcast. It's been a pleasure, and I'm wishing you a wonderful remainder of the year. All right. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation, Iqbal. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career, build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.